So last time we did a practice, a formation on silence and solitude. You can go back and listen to those about that. And so we want to build on another practice today. Now, generosity, let's call out the elephant in the room. The church and generosity has always been at wars with one another, right? You've got the uh, TV people who say, if you give $1,000, you're going to have X, Y, and Z. Like, and so they have that narrative. But at the same time, we have another type of Christianity that says, you must live in poverty to be like Jesus. Neither extremes are true. Would you agree? So the way of generosity in Jesus they reckon about 25% of his sermons were on finances. So one in four messages. This is the first time I have ever spoken on generosity in the three years of leading this church. So I want to make this more of an understanding of what generosity is. And I think we need to start with who is generous or the host of generosity. So let's stand together for the reading of the word as we lean into Jesus' words today. The passage is found, if you want to pull out your Bibles to read along as well, is passage Luke in 12 and 22. We start and it says this, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life for what you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you were not able to do a, small, a smaller thing as that... Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your rich, abundant giving. Thank you for those receptions right now. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you that you are the gift giver. Lord, you are the father of lights who does not withhold. God, you are faithful. You are consistent. God, I pray today that our eyes would be opened, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to what you have to say. Lord, that we wouldn't lean into the narratives of this world, that there is lack, that there is destruction. But God, there is a truer story at hand. God, would you lead us today? Would you set the soil in our hearts right that we could receive this word and start a new exciting journey? Help us to lean against the trellis today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Please be seated. So would you imagine with me, uh, maybe you want to bring to mind a banquet, a party, uh, maybe an all-inclusive resort. The place 
is brimming with food. You, as soon as you walk into the door, you've got one of those servers that comes and gives you a tray of a drink, and it's your favorite kind. Another person comes along and gives you an hors d'oeuvre. You suddenly awaken to the whole room is arrayed with food all the way around. You see people hustling and bustling. It's not too busy. There doesn't seem like a ratio of too many people to too much stuff. There seems like the right amount. There's some jacuzzis over in the other room. This is an extravagant one. Maybe we're outside. Let's imagine us outside, palm trees. You know that warm weather that we had yesterday? That cool breeze is just wisping past your face right now as you stand and you just breathe in because you sense the comfort of this is a good space. I'm going to have a good time. The friends are with you and you are just ready to go. The host comes to you and says, all of this, you can have all of this. But there's one tray, hors d'oeuvre tray, you can't eat that one. But everything else you can have. And you're like, let's get started. Do I start savory or do I start sweet? There's a massive chocolate fountain like I have never seen. And those strawberries look amazing. Like there is everything on tap right now. Where do I start? I've got to pace myself. It's like a Texas Brazil steakhouse going on. Has anyone been to those places? I made the mistake of starting with salad. I made the mistake. I should have just gone to the meat straight away, right? I should have just gone to the meat straight away, uh, but I wasn't wise. And so you're thinking, I've got to pace myself, and I want to relax. I hope there's enough. But then suddenly, the room starts to change a little bit. Over time, the party's going, and suddenly there's some people stacking trays up and taking them into the corner of the room. There's another set of people that are starting to take drinks and into the other corner of the room. There are some people that are blockading off the jacuzzi, right? Those people that won't get out. They've been in there for an hour. They need to get out. But they start blockading those places, and they start saying, you can't come in. And suddenly, in a moment, we wonder, is there enough? We start to wonder, is this actually enough and suddenly there's this frenzy that comes up. People start taking the silverware, start taking things. Someone actually grabs the chocolate fountain with the strawberries. That would be me. This is mine. And suddenly chaos blows up and we ask, where is the host? What on earth has happened to this party? It's funny, isn't it? In a snowstorm or extreme weather, the milk and bread just disappear, right? You go into it and the shelves just stockade, completely gone, wiped out. We had a pandemic. One of the funniest things, I, I, just, I will tell my kids this over and over again. Toilet roll and cleaning goods disappeared. Like, that's what's disappeared. Nothing else, just you could not get hold of those things. Or a fuel shortage. Suddenly, we thought we didn't have enough, and suddenly we, we stack up the cans of fuel because we're not sure of when it's going to come back. And so we hoard so what is it within us that fears there's not enough? What is it that drives us to hoard the things that we so desperately need? And this is the story of Genesis. God opens up and says, let there be light. And this creation flows out, land and sea, animals and plants flourish from. And there is an abundance in that space. God makes man and woman in his own image. And he calls them blessed. Can you imagine that you're welcomed into a party and suddenly it's not only you get to enjoy the things at hand. In fact, I want you to partake. I want you to 
Come and join me in creating more things. I've made you like me. I want you to do the things that I do. You are blessed. You are rich. That's a wonderful thing. And he says, there's a tree that you can't eat from. There's an hors d'oeuvre tree that you can't eat from. But it doesn't matter because the garden is brimming with amazing things. But as we know, the story goes on. In Genesis 3, we begin to see another narrative come. So if you want to turn with me, go to Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible. It says that if you understand the first 11 chapters of the Bible, you just see echoes of that pattern throughout the Bible. And so it's really important that we always come back to Genesis to get a grounding of what on earth is happening. Because the question is answered why this happens. And so in the opening words of Genesis 3, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty. That word crafty, sometimes we think sinister. Just think strategic. He was more strategic than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So already in our minds, this is a bit strange because humans have been called to rule over animals. And suddenly this animal is causing some chaos because he is overturning the narrative. He's saying that suddenly this animal wants to almost come contend or come speak with humanity. And so the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say? Did God actually say the author of lies, the one who deconstructs, the Satan, the accuser comes? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's interesting, isn't it? The serpent's very first words out of his mouth before knowing anything about him, he questions the generosity of God. Is God really that good? And notice the question. It's not a question of closeness to what the reality is. It's so far away. It's like, did God really say that you can't eat of anything in the room? And you're just like, no, that's way far off what the reality is. You just imagine the woman stepping up. No way, Jose. Like, he's given us all the things in the garden bar that one. And so it's the power of suggestion that suddenly we don't think about pink elephants. You're thinking about pink elephants, right? It's the power of suggestion that the first lie that the enemy comes. And if we do not take hold of that thought, if we do not take hold of that um, that idea, it flourishes. And so the enemy just wants to plant a seed in Eve's mind that says, is God really that good? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't matter because how we hold that idea thereafter changes everything. And so then suddenly the thought arises more. The best lie is the power of suggestion. And so he carries on and it says this, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She said, if we eat it, even if we touch it, which wasn't true, you just didn't eat it, but if you, but then he's changing a completely different story. So he's done the power of suggestion, and now he's saying, but the woman, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and 
evil. So the next tactic after a power of suggestion is telling a completely different story. This is not what God's telling you. He's not telling you the whole truth. You can be like God. Why focus on that lie? Why focus in on that moment? Well, you're made in the image of God. It's true. Satan knows that you are made in the image of God. In fact, every time he looks at you, he is filled with rage because you look like the one who was disregarded by him, the one that he wanted to overthrow. And so we bear the image. That's why we don't have idols, because we are the image of the worship to our God. And so with that image bearing, Satan knows for us to not be image bearers is to not be in relationship. I want you to catch this today. For Satan to know how to disarm who we are is to make us void of relationship with our Creator. Why? Because God is relationship. Let us make man in our own image. He collaborates. It's out of the triune joint of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that creation came forth. It was out of relationship that this whole world exists. And so when a fracturing of relationship happens... We no longer bear the image of God fully. And so Satan knows if I can cause them to believe in themselves, make them believe that God is holding something back, breaking the very relationship between them, if I can shift the shadow of being like God is to be fully powerful by myself, if I can build that lie into them, I break everything. You can take control of your world. And so Eve believes that. So she's fostered this unbelief into her mind, and now it's taking action. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good, so suddenly she's deciding what's good. Before she's even eaten of the tree of good and evil, she is deciding what is good. And it was at that, it was a delight to her eyes. And that the tree was to be desired, that word desired, better understood, coveted. So when we covet something, we know in the Ten Commandments, when we covet something, we're taking something that's not ours, correct? Like that's what's happening. So she coveted what was not hers to do what? To make one wise. To void relationships so I don't have to rely on God. I can be my own wisdom. I can decide what's good and evil. And so she took. And this was the echo throughout all of Scripture. Suddenly man decided what was good and evil. We determine what's good and evil and we take. The destruction of this world is based on sin because we decide what's good and evil. Void of relationship with God, taking deciding. And it's funny, isn't it? Because afterwards she gave to her husband. And we're like, generosity. That's pretty good. Like she's giving to her husband. No. No, it's not. Suddenly, even generosity in control becomes selfishness. It becomes uh, destructive. And so control moves us from being gratefully receiving to greedily taking. The story tells us that if we control the abundance, it fails. But if we trust the good host, we can see a breeding ground of abundance. I love this from uh, Ignatius of Loyola, who says this, Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. 
Let's read that again. Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And that's hard to trust sometimes because it's not on my time frame. It's not how I want it to look, right? But God really does. If you hear nothing else today, God wants your deepest happiness. Fullness of joy He longs for. And so the point I want to make today is the generous host... God wants to build a confidence in His character and promises today. God is a generous host, and He wants to build a confidence in His character and His promises. It's funny, isn't it, that the tree was central? Now, a lot of times we ask the question, why was the tree central in the garden? Have you ever thought that question? Like, couldn't you just put it in the far corner, way out of the way? But the reality is, what we can't have or what we cannot control will always be central to our beings. That's the human, bless you, that's the human condition. The human condition is that the tree of what we cannot have will always be center. And the reason is because trust is the key issue to a loving relationship. It's the goal of God. That's why he put that tree. Because like, a lot of people argue, why would he put a tree that would dismantle relationships or creation, sorry? Because God is relationship. He allows freedom. He wants you to follow him for yourself, not be controlled. And so the tree represents, will you trust me? I've given you all the abundance in the world, It's not even a fair ratio, right? One tree, billions of other things. It's not even a fair comparison. Yet the single thing will always be what we cannot have. And relationship flourishes when we trust the generous host. It's amazing, isn't it? God desires to keep giving generously. And that's why I love the words in Genesis 12 when God reestablishes his people again. He takes this single family and says, single family, Abram, Sarai. His opening words are, you will be a blessing. So instantly, the reconnection, what happens? First words spoken over us, generosity, blessing. First words over Abram, blessing, generosity. And every time he reestablishes his covenant with Isaac, with Jacob, generosity, blessing, good things come. In fact, when Moses came about, it was the same story. I love in Deuteronomy 8.18, it talks about how the covenant, when we become wealthy, it establishes the promises of God. God determines that the covenant is fully coming together when abundance is occurring, when wealth is coming. God is not opposed to wealth and good things at all. And I love it that God continued to provide for Moses in the desert, generous, right? Six days of provision of food, one day of no food. And what happens first time around? They fail. They can't trust him. We've had six days, regular food, regular food. Sixth day, you've got double the amount. This is going to keep, and still we long because we want to be in control, and we take We determine what's good and what's evil. We take, but yet God carries on. It's funny, isn't it? Moses, when he hit uh, the rock the second time, not what God told him. God told him to speak. Moses took control, and it forfeited the promised land of him going into. It was his control that stopped him from living in abundance. That's the narrative. See, echoes. 
constantly through Scripture. You'll keep seeing over and over again the kings of Israel. Every time they took control, I'll worship that idol because I want to control, forfeit. But God keeps giving. Solomon was the greatest abundance. He had no lack, yet he worshipped another god, and it broke the kingdom of God apart. It's funny, isn't it? The narrative is, this is another echo, that if we do things long enough by ourselves, we create the Tower of Babel. When we think that we've made it, that we've done it, we just think that we continue to make it happen. And so Babel was made. Babylon occurs. We live in Babylon at the moment. America is on this trajectory of not God we trust. We're removing God from everything, right? And so we're just following the sequence of if we do it long enough, we're going to think that we are the provider for all things. That's the echo throughout all of Scripture. But God, God is still ridiculously abundant. And what's our favorite verse in Christianity? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave over and over again. I love that. Even in the opening words of when Jesus commenced after coming out of the the desert, you know, after the temptations, he comes into to preach his kind of first message. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord, he quotes from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, abundant news to the poor, to those who are without. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set the liberty of those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Lord's generosity. That's what he came to claim. And over and over again, we see stories of generosity. It's like Jesus lived a different story. It's like he knew the host, and he was, if we come back to our parable of a banquet, it's like he's the single guy just walking around still taking up the food when we're still trying to fight one another for the things, not realizing that there is an abundance all around us. And he's just picking up the apple. He's just picking up the chocolate fountain again and putting it back together. He's eating from the fruits. He's, he's bathing in the hot tub, and he's like, guys, the abundance is still here. Your narrative has changed. You're not seeing rightly. So let's come back to that passage that we first kind of jumped in in Luke chapter 12. Just some quick contents because it's really interesting. This is obviously from a Sermon on the Mount teaching, but Luke positions this teaching in a different space. In fact, if you just go back a few verses in 12, there's a situation that's arrived. Jesus is teaching... And suddenly two men jump up, or at least one of the brothers jumps up and says, can you tell my brother to share with me? He's not sharing his blessing. They've come into some sort of inheritance, and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Isn't that interesting? Suddenly there is still this lack question that's being asked of Jesus. Jesus, there's not enough. Can you tell him to share with me? And the focus is on the lack rather than the abundance. And Jesus begins to tell a parable. He says, I'm not the one who's going to make this decision, but take care and be on your guard against the covetedness. The taking mentality for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. More on that in a moment. 
And so he carries on this story where a rich man decides that he's got enough, but he needs more. And so he builds an extra large barn house for all his possessions, taking, deciding what is good. And he says this, uh, so God then speaks to him. Um, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, lay up for many years, relax. That's what he kind of said. But God said to him, fool, immoral, this night your soul, your life will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, those will they be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. He's just coming right towards back to the principle again, right? He's just coming back. He's saying, look, remember Genesis 3. When you take for your own and you don't provide, you're going to die. You're going to just live a life that destroys your soul and it doesn't come into fullness of life. So let's jump into, that's the precursor of what he says this. So turning after, after having that discussion about possessions, about generosity, he turns to his disciples and said to them, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. That's a challenge for America, right? That's a challenge for us because I'm pretty sure... I live by a different narrative, right? There is a lot of food around here. I still joke about even Route 19, Route 19, Route 19. Like, going through there, the abundance, like, it still blows my mind coming from England. Like, you have five burger places in a, in a square mile. Like, pizza shops keep bouncing up. I'm like, there's no way we could have another pizza shop. Nope, it's still going strong. It's great. Like, more and more than cloves, that we recycle through all our things after over and over again, throw away, throw away, throw away. It's funny, isn't it? So in America, anxiety, we are, congratulations, the number one most anxious country in the whole world. One in three Americans suffer with anxiety. One in three. But isn't it interesting as well? So remember, Jesus says, like, he attributes anxiety to possessions. Who's the richest country in the world? America, USA, come on, that was a USA baby moment. Like, we are the wealthiest, wealthiest, highest anxiety. Is it not the narrative that's happening that we are in control of our own lives? That the narrative of freedom, pursue your happiness, is the Pennsylvanian slogan. Your happiness, no one else's, just your happiness. That narrative is being skewed and that we ex explore our control and we're just experiencing more and more anxiety. But Jesus is saying, if you understand how much God cares for you, his generosity, this will take your anxiety away. If you understand his care for you, your anxiety will go away. He doesn't say, guys, I'm really sorry. I understand your life is really anxious. Um, you know, let's try harder. He literally says, don't be anxious. It's quite like a command, isn't it? It's, it's not even an allowance. It's just like, stop. Stop being anxious. And so Jesus is about to uh, unveil why we shouldn't be anxious. Now, for many of us, I don't think we would consider the ravens. It's not something that I would suddenly slow down and be like, you know what? I've got so much anxiety right now in my life. I've got so much fear. I'm going to stop and look at the birds. Anyone done that? Like you've got so much fears and anxieties, you've gone, you know what? I need to go look at the ravens again. It's just not a reality that I would do, but this is Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi. He says to them, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. 
They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? How much more value? See, ravens don't make sure that they have planted enough resource. They don't even labor to make their own food, right? They don't help in making the trees necessarily grow. I mean, they probably drop some seeds here and there, but it just naturally pours out of the ground. Jesus is saying there is an abundance. Look at creation. It feeds itself. There is more than enough for you who, and there's a few of you, who have chickens in this place. Think about the chicken. Let's reflect on the chicken. So we like free-range chickens, right? What does that even mean, free-range? They just get to roam around freely, and they just constantly like this all the time, right? This. I mean, that, that, this is their life, running like this. The, the, no one throws any seed. Like, it's just there. There are minerals. There are seeds. There are worms. There is a ground that is abundance, and they literally just live this life because there's more than enough. There's a free range. God cares about your needs. And it kind of feels like a hippie statement, right? But like, that's all well and good, but I don't know if that's true. Again, will we trust or will we control? There is a reality around us. If we want to meditate on the ravens, there is an abundance. They live, they survive, they work. They still work, they still do things, but the abundance is still there for them. They don't fear about tomorrow. You don't see ravens having anxiety attacks, right? Like suddenly, like, oh, that, that, that raven right there, pff, crashing out right there. There is more than enough. And so Jesus then gives another illustration. He talks about this. Consider the lily. So we've moved from the birds. Now we're going to look at these lilies. Imagine Jesus. Maybe there's a lily around. He just points to it. Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, you hold him to be the most abundant, generous person in the whole of history. Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, even for the care of that is just, it's so finite, it's so quick. He gives so much care to something that doesn't even last that long. He adores it with even greater things than Solomon, which is thrown into the fire, into the oven. How much more will he clothe you over little faith? So it's not just God saying, I'm going to meet your needs. There is a story that's being told. He is going to give you more than you need. A lot of times we, we kind of preach the gospel. It's like, well, God gives you what you need. No, he's actually interested in the abundance of who you are. He's interested in flourishment of overflowing, but it's not for your own good. And I think about the ravens as well. They are scavengers. In fact, Jesus saying ravens, they were the unkosher animals because they scrapped off all the different animals. And so he said even the most despised animal, God takes care of. So instantly that opens our mind that it's not about your ability to access the abundance. God is just that abundant. So please stop watching the TV shows that say, give this amount for it to unlock your blessing. Please stop trying to work out the formula of God's generosity. He's generous. Trust Him. Trust Him. 
He's got good things for you. And I'm preaching to myself right now as well. Please understand that. Like, like Johnny, this is the first time talking about generosity. I definitely have not come from a life of generosity whatsoever. And so this is, I'm preaching to myself. Please hear my heart and all of that. So Jesus believes a different story. He believes that there is a generous story, that there is a whole banquet still to be accessed. Would you open your eyes to the abundance around it? Can we trust a generous God? And the beautiful thing is Jesus didn't show generosity. He became generosity. So I love this passage here in Paul. He talks about this. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say? This is one of my favorite passages. Romans 8. Amazing chapter. Wonderful. What we shall say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Which is a great montage online uh, uh, like to throw out there but it's actually got context to it. Because why? Why Why should we? Why? Paul's asking the question, why? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also within, with him graciously give all things? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will not, sorry, <laughs> How will he not also within him graciously give us all things? The context is generosity. Who can stand against us? Who can be for us? If God, who gave the most precious gift, that is arguably the most precious gift, more than giving of yourself to give something that you care so deeply for, to give it to people who were his enemy. He gave the most precious gift to his enemy. And what did we do with the gift? We killed it. The narrative of the Pharisees, they hated that Jesus was giving freedom back to people again. It was outside. It was like, that's what their frustration was because Pharisees were all about control. The Torah, the 613 laws, they had laws around laws around laws. They wanted control. And so the religious mindset inside of us can't comprehend or help to understand how good and generous God is. God, I've I've lived a terrible life. Like, my thoughts constantly are not your ways. I'm not kind to people all the time. I'm not living the way. How can you be? I deserve this, what I'm experiencing. I deserve it. Have you ever said that? Man, I just deserve this. And God is saying, I am generous beyond goodness. I am generous all the time. Look at my son. He died for you. And now you have a blank check. You have a blank check of forgiveness something that can never be wasted, a love that we cannot overemphasize. We cannot explain how big and vast his love is. Instead, we try to create frameworks because we don't understand it. We try to make architectures of how you obtain this blessing when God is saying, it's there, but you're going to have to trust me. It's not going to look like what you think it should do. You've got to take your hand off of control. And Ashley uh, pointed out in our, in our prayer this morning that the testimonies last Sunday were all about that. Every time someone said, I let go of control, God came in. We are so controlled, you don't even understand. We don't wake up in the morning expecting being thankful for water or food. It's all there all the time. And so for us, where does your abundance come from? I just want you to reflect where does your abundance come from? We talked about making room, and I loved Kara's question. 
Who are you making room for? Yourself or God's abundance? And let's be honest, our abundance comes from ourselves. Paycheck, uh, you know, all the good things that come. And so this is why we need to realign. Again, remember the trellis. If we want to live kingdom ways, we have got to discover, we've got to discover that we are own self-sufficient people. And God, we want to surrender to him. So as we land this today, what can we do? What practical step can we take away today that would help us in living a more generous life? Well, first we need to understand that there is a generous host. I hope that you will go away this week and meditate on the generosity of God. Would you do that for me this week? Would you actually remind yourselves of stories? Would you read scripture? Would you confess truths over your life that God is a generous host? Start there. Practice of gratitude. I love this from Richard Foster. He says this, attach the gift to the giver. Attach the gift to the giver. So in everything that you do, whether what you're wearing, every morning, your house, your water. So I love showers. I don't drink coffee, but showers are my coffee. And so in the morning, every morning, I'm just like, God, I am so... And the wonderful thing about our shower is that it's really high. (laughs) You have no idea. Every place I go to, this is my stance. (laughs) It's horrible. So we talk about height. It's wonderful that you can grab things. Traveling and showers are just the worst things. But I am thankful. It's the right height, probably not for H. You can't actually, you often can't reach the uh, other thing. So I always have to put the other, like, assistant shower up for her because she's too short. Anyways, or you just don't want to. I don't know what it is. But anyways, I just, I just find myself keep doing it all the time. But I'm thankful. Hey, come back to the room. I'm thankful every time that I'm just like, God, thank you for warm water, especially in the winter. God, I thank you for this heat right now that I can just be. I don't have to walk a mile to get water. I thank you for your generous gift. Man, we have so much to be thankful for. If you start just there, what would it go? Everything. As I enjoy the sunshine today in November, people. Come on. Like, I am like, I'm just, the warm air, I'm just like, God, you are a good giver. I will hold on to every good day until that frightful of of the cold comes. I will hold on to it. What about when you're sitting across a table from a friend? You're having good conversation. You're having good food. Attach the gift to the giver. Thank you, God, that I have friends, that I have community, that, God, I was able to purchase this item. God, I thank you that I can bless other people. See, when I consider the birds and lilies of my life, when I actually think back and reflect, we're just going to take a couple of minutes here in a second just to reflect on our own lives. And I want you to overflow with generosity this morning. Man, there is such an atmosphere of presence in the room, so it's pretty easy, it feels like. You know, it's one of those Sundays where everyone's just up for it. Like, we're here, we're gunning, we're ready to go. And what about when you turn up on a Sunday and you're not ready to go? When you've had a rough week, will you still come with the expectation of God you're still good? Can we sing, King of my heart, you are good, good, oh, good. Can we sing that in our own hearts through the struggle and the pain? See, it's funny, as a pastor, like, you don't make great money, right? Um, but, and I had the opportunity first coming into pastoring. I'm pretty good at sales, uh, so I was doing okay at car sales, and they actually wanted to keep me on. They were like, 
And they'd never done that before. We've never done this before, but you're really good at what you do. Can you stay on and do pastoring? Which I thought was a confliction of interest anyway in itself. But I was like, well, it could be handy, like not making much money, a bit of second income. But I just felt God say, give me your all and I'll always provide for you. And so that's, that's what we did. And uh, yeah, with three kids, my salary, a little bit of breaches as well, we've, God's provided more than enough. We've always tithed. We've always given to this house. No matter lack or whatever, we've always given. We've always been able to abundantly give to other people as well. We've always been able to be generous at hosting people. Remember, generosity is not just finances, but we've been able to be generous with our time. I love the ability of just sitting across the table and actually being present with someone. Sometimes people don't like, feel uncomfortable about that kind of stuff. Like, I really want to know your story. And so often we have church people that just want to see right through you to the next thing. What if we were generous with our time, knowing I don't have to be all the answers. I don't have to be at all the events. I don't have to have FOMO all the time. I can, I can actually be present because God is enough. So let's reflect for a minute. Let's just take a couple of minutes. So just with every eye closed, just seat yourself. Maybe rustle around in your chair right now. Back straight up. And God, we just want to come to you today. God, we want to come just breathing in, right? Just the very breath of life. But God, we have breath in our lungs today. God is a new day. And there are good things for us to go and do. God, I thank you for the grace. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that gave it all that reconnected us so that we could be image bearers of God again, that we can awaken and tell a better story to this world. There's a banquet in front of you. You don't need to live in lack. There is a generous host. You don't need to believe the stories of the narratives of this world of just consume, 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 because there might not be enough. We don't need that narrative anymore because our hope is secure in an eternal son. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your hope. Thank you that you rescued me over and over and over again. Just bring to mind right now where he rescued you. Where he rescued you from a bad decision, a bad relationship. Where he rescued you. Think about those moments where you celebrate with a friend at a birthday. Think about your vacations that you've had. The opportunity to have a vacation. That's mind-blowing for parts of the world. You get to take time off. You have a roof over your head. You have joy in your heart. Just almost let that joy come up in your heart. Don't let that message of the enemy come to you right now and say, yeah, but what if? What if that? What if your life suddenly just wrecks apart? You know, that power of suggestion that the enemy comes in and tries to sow that seed, cast it out in Jesus' name. We cast out fears and anxieties when we pause and we think of creation.
when we get out into creation and we look at the generous colors of the trees, the blue sky as the canvas for those colors, the array of all the different types of plants, of animals. Lord God, the abundance that you bring forth is constant. God, let us just sink. Let's just take a moment of silence. The music can still be playing. Let's just come into a moment of silence. And just rest into the arms of the Father this morning.